It is Sunday, January the 19th, and we are going to be in the book of Leviticus, chapter 8. We are actually going to try and finish up this today as far as the dedication of the tabernacle and the priest. So we've talked about a lot of things that have happened throughout the book or the chapter, the eighth chapter of Leviticus. We'll review them again. They were washed. They were clothed. As far as the priest. The tabernacle and all the furnishings and the vessels of worship were anointed. Aaron is anointed with just the oil. Just Aaron at this point. We are told it runs down his beard and onto his clothes. Then um, the sons are clothed. Then there is the bull for the sin offering. And remember, this was for intentional sins, or unintentional, wrong word, unintentional sins, things they did not know, but they found out after the fact, and there was forgiveness for that. There was a ram burnt offering. And this dealt with sinfulness in general or just the sinful nature and surrender to God. Then the last thing we've talked about is the realm of consecration. That's where the blood was taken and applied to the ear, the thumb, and the big toe. And then uh, it was the blood was taken from the altar and mixed with anointing oil. And Aaron and his sons were anointed and their clothes were anointed. It was sacrificed on the altar and then um, the breast was given to Moses. So these are all of the steps that have gone into the tabernacle and the priesthood dedication. And we've been studying it for weeks. This all happened in one day for them. So it was a ceremony that took place at the door of the tabernacle, remember? Here's the tabernacle, there's the door, here's the altar, there's the labor. There's the holy place and the holy of holies. It all took place at the door of the tabernacle. And everybody else, the congregation, was around to watch. Good so, morning. good morning. Good morning. Birthday girl. Right. Yep. It's my turn. <laughs> so, these men, Aaron and his sons, now carry the Holy Spirit's anointing and they bear the burden of ministry 
when dealing with the sins of the people. They carry a heavy responsibility now. So we are to the end, and it's like, okay, what happens now? We've made all of these sacrifices. We've had all of this anointing, all of this robing, everything. What happens now? So let's go to Leviticus chapter 8 and verse 31. And it says there, And Moses said unto Aaron and to his sons, Boil the flesh at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, and there eat it with the bread that is in the basket of consecrations, as I commanded, saying, Aaron and his sons shall eat it. Now this was commanded by God back in Exodus chapter 29, where he lays out all of these particulars of the ceremony once the tabernacle was to be completed. Uh, all of this was given to Moses from God back in Exodus chapter 29. So remember they had brought, at the very beginning, Moses tells them we need, we need a bull, we need two rams, we need a basket of unleavened bread, we're bringing your clothes, and then we're going to have this ceremony. So they have used everything that was brought, and now it says that they are going to actually get to eat their portion that is given to the priest. Now the priest, when the land is divided up, because we're going to study that, that around the tabernacle, each one of the tribes had a specific place where they were to camp. That was their place. And then when they get into Canaan, the promised land, they each are given a land allotment. Belongs to them. Part of the promise to Abraham that your descendants will have this land it's going to be allotted out to them. Well, the Levites, Aaron's descendants, and the tribe of Levi do not get land because they're responsible for this. So if they have no land, guess what? They can't have crops. They can't have flocks because they have nowhere to put them. Whereas everyone else can do some type of livelihood the Levites are totally dedicated to taking care of God's tabernacle. So they get a portion of the sacrifice. The meat is given to the priest. That is part of their allotment. Is they are taken care of. So God has told Moses, now we have finished all of this. We're going to take this meat, tell them to boil it at the door of the tabernacle and they are to partake of it as well as the bread that was left in that basket because remember they took three they took a loaf they took a wafer um, and they took one that was anointed or smeared with oil they took those three in the wave offering and offered it upon the altar so the bread that was left was for Aaron and his sons to eat with the meat now think about it, though. This meat had already been offered to God. And God is now giving it back to the priest for their uh, sustenance. It's almost like I put it as a fellowship meal here. Because guess what? They're actually sitting down now to commune with God. It's something that has been given to God, and God has blessed them back with it. But it could also be called... A covenant meal. Now it was very common back in the 
uh, near eastern area of the country. Um, and in those days, we know for sure because it's shown up in historical writings that when a covenant was agreed upon between two parties, once they had agreed upon it, they sat down and had a meal. And the meal basically meant that we are at peace with the agreement that we have made. This party is going to hold up their end of the bargain. This party is going to hold up their end of the bargain. And we are at peace with all of the agreement. So this meal that the, that the priests are now partaking of could be looked at as a fellowship or a covenant meal that signified peace between them and God. God has laid out all of these things. He has consecrated them. He has anointed them. He has set them apart. And they are now responsible to be that go-between between all of those Israelites, three million plus, and God. So they are to sit and eat. And it says in verse 32, and it says, That which remaineth of the flesh and of the bread shall ye burn with fire. There was not to be anything left. It was to be either totally consumed or else it was to be burned. No one else was to partake of that bread and of that meat. Now what's interesting is look at verse 33. It says, And ye shall not go out of the door of the tabernacle of the congregation in seven days. So guess what? They cannot leave. They are here for seven days until the days of your consecration be at an end. For seven days, shall he consecrate you. As he has done this day, it says in verse 34, so the Lord hath commanded to do to make an atonement for you. So everything has been done as God commanded. Now he's saying, look, you're going to stay here for seven days. And it says, until the days of your consecration. Now that word consecrate, remember we talked about it meant to fill the hand. It also means... Uh, that this is your ordination. This is your installment into the priesthood. I would not let you be my priest until all of these steps have been completed. So for seven days. Now what does the number seven mean in the Bible? Does anybody know? Completion. Yep, completion. Think about creation. Creation happened in seven days. When it was done, it says God rested. Doesn't mean he was tired and exhausted and he sat down and went. But it means he turned his attention to something else. What he had said was now complete and he could move on to his next act. Um, The Battle of Jericho. Seven days. And it was complete. The number seven stands for completeness. So at the end of this seven days, guess what? Everything will be turned over to Aaron and his sons for them to now be the priesthood. Remember, Moses did all of this. And at the end of this seven-day period, it will now be up to Aaron and his sons to conduct all of these sacrifices to be the go-between for the people, 
to uh, to do everything that a priest uh, of the priestly duties. And we will talk about more of those as we go on through Scripture. But go back to the book of Exodus and to God's instructions for this ceremony and for this particular part. Look at Exodus chapter 29. And we're going to look at verses 35 through 37. Exodus 29 and verses 35 through 37. And does someone want to read that? unto Aaron and to his sons according to all things which I have commanded thee seven days shalt thou consecrate them and thou shalt offer every day a holocaust of course the first sin offering for atonement and thou shalt cleanse the altar when thou hast made an atonement for it and thou shalt atone, anoint it to sanctify it seven days thou shalt make an atonement for the altar and sanctify it and it shall be an altar most holy whatsoever touches the altar shall be holy so this is god's instructions for the ceremony and it gives us just a little more information on what's going to happen during the seven day period that they are inside of the tabernacle that they cannot leave the tabernacle it says Thou shalt offer, this is verse 36, Thou shalt offer every day a bullock for a sin offer. So every day, I don't believe they were washed. I believe they probably stayed in their clothes. The tabernacle had already been anointed. They, but I believe this happened every day for seven days. Every day, a bull was offered as a sin offering for unintentional sins. That lets us know just how serious sin was with God. These were priests that he had called for his ministers. They had already gone through all of this once. They're going to do it every day for seven days to offer that sin offering. I wonder, during those seven-day period, what unintentional sins might have needed to have been covered. Mm -hmm. Because obviously there was something either in their mind, in their thoughts, in their speech, in their walk, there was something that still needed to be taken care of. Fleshly needs, want yes. your own food, where's your family? Mm -hmm. Simple stuff. But it just lets us know the seriousness of sin. God cannot abide sin. And just as provision had to be made for these men before they could actually stand in somebody else's behalf before God and offer a sacrifice, we have to continually go before the cross and ask for forgiveness. We might not do the big 
intentional things. But what about all the little things that we know don't please God? When we allow pride or greed or lust, anger. We are told that these are things that so easily beset us and weigh us down are just those things that just happen. Remember that sinful nature? <clears throat> it's still out there. Even though we ask God to forgive us, there is that constant battle between flesh and spirit. It talks about it in the New Testament constantly, about that battle that goes on and how Satan prays against us and battles in our mind. I had someone tell me this week um, that their son is a minister. And it had been several months since he had uh, been invited to speak anywhere. And he ministered this past Sunday on Sunday morning and said he just stood up in front of the church and cried. She's like, I have never seen my son like that before, ever, in anything that he had ever done. And what he admitted confessed to the congregation that was bothering him so bad is that Satan had just come against him and told him, you're not worth anything. God's not using you. Look at this. There's no doors that have been opened for you to preach. You know, you're not worth anything. That call that you think you've got on your life, it's not really a call. You're just imagining this. You think that God doesn't battle people? Oh, God, let me put that back. Satan does not battle people in their mind. Satan's job is to distract us from God's purpose and calling on our lives. If he makes us think that we're unworthy and that that call is not really real, that I didn't hear God say that, that I didn't feel God impress that upon my heart to do this, if he makes us feel like that's not really real, you know what? He's one step closer to getting us out of that circle of protection. Yes, Remember? In Job, it tells us that God puts a hedge around his people and we're protected. But still, Satan's throwing fiery darts he may not can step inside of that, but do you know he can throw stuff at us that makes us open it up. It says that we have spiritual weapons and that the spiritual warfare takes place, but that we can quench the fiery darts of Satan. It doesn't say they won't come, but it says that we can quench them. It's just like if he throws something, you can reach up and go, and it's done. But we forget about that, and we let it pierce and get into our spirits and into our minds, and we allow things just to weigh us down. I'm just as guilty as anybody. I'll stand before you and say the same thing. You know, Satan comes and says, you don't need to teach that Sunday school class. They're not getting anything out of what you're saying. It's not effective. You don't have time to study. Look at this. You didn't have time to put a handout. You think that didn't bother me that I didn't come in here with a handout this morning? I feel like I fell down on my job. And yeah, Satan starts, you know, 
just constantly in there jabbing and jibbing and, you know, wanting to make you think that you're not good enough. I got news for you, none of us are good enough, but because of the blood, yes. we're all worthy. We are righteousness of God in Christ. Remember when we talked about this blood and oil that was mingled together and was splattered, sprinkled upon their garments, and the people saw that and the, the priest saw that. They looked down and they saw that blood and it's like, hey, that means God will pass over me that this will not destroy me. And we forget that that blood's been applied to us and we allow all that stuff just to break us down or batter us down. We have to remember God's there for us. He's had a plan from the very beginning. This may seem really complicated and we wonder why? Why did God do this? Why did he require this? It was always about the blood. The life is in the blood. And even from this, all of this points to Jesus coming and being that final perfect sacrifice where we don't have to do this. Now, why did it take so long? What was God's time frame in doing it the way he did it? Hey, that's something we'll have to ask him when we get to heaven. But you know, if I think when we get to heaven, we don't care. Because we're there. We won't think about asking him questions like that. Because we will be in heaven with him. In perfection. So for seven days, these men cannot leave the tabernacle. And they must offer the sacrifices every day. I think they have that covenant fellowship meal that we are at peace with God for seven days. Now look at verse 35. Go back to Leviticus chapter 8 and look at verse 35. It tells us again, Therefore shall ye abide at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation day and night for seven days and keep the charge of the Lord. Why? That ye die not. Hmm. Isn't that hmm. strong words? Yes. Hey, look, guys. We've been through all this. I'm in business. If you're going to be my priest, you're going to follow my commandments. You're going to do this to the letter, lest ye die. For so I am commanded. Now, I have a question for you. Where have the priests been through all of this? Where have Aaron and his sons been? Yeah, they've been like right in this area right here. Moses is the one that has taken the blood to the altar. Moses is the one that took the blood in here and anointed everything. Moses is the one that did that. These men still, you know what? They haven't gotten past the door of the tabernacle. In all of this time, through all of their consecration, their anointing, their ceremony, even everything that they've done, they haven't made it any further. They haven't been allowed to go into this part that actually represents the presence of God. They had to go through all of this before they could ever get here, which they are eventually going to get here. 
But look at what God required. One commentator put it like this. He said, after all of these preliminaries, they had to still undergo a week's probation in the court of the tabernacle before they obtained permission to enter into the interior of the sacred building. During the whole of that period, the same sacrificial rites were observed as on the first day, and they were expressly admonished that the smallest breach of any of the appointed observances would lead to the certain forfeiture of their lives. Verse 36 says, So Aaron and his sons did all things which the Lord commanded by the hand of Moses. Now I have a question for you. Can you think of another covenantal meal that is yet to come? (laughs) Yes. Can anybody think of a, a meal that is yet to come? The what? Yes, the Last Supper was was another covenant meal. This was underneath the Old Covenant. We get to the New Testament. And guess what? That covenant meal is the Last Supper. And not only was it for Jesus to observe with his disciples, but what was the commandment? This do in remembrance of me. So every time we participate in communion, it is representative of a covenant meal. Jesus said, this is my body that is broken, and this is the blood of the New Testament or the New Covenant. That word covenant means testament. This is it. And if you observe it and when you observe it, you remember what I've done. That's why communion is such a sacred thing. Why is it a sacrament of the church? And we are to enter into it uh, not, uh, not just frivolously. You know, we need to make sure that we have nothing within our hearts that is a separation from us and God. That there's no alt against a brother. That there's no jealousy. That there's no envy. That there's no pride. That there's nothing that stands between us and God before we partake. It says if you partake unworthily, that your um, days can be shortened. But that doesn't mean don't partake. Yes, it doesn't mean don't partake. It means, yes, it means to make sure that that sin or that uh, thing that is standing out there, that it is covered before you partake. And the best way to do that is to remember you're the righteousness of God in Christ. His blood does it. Mm -hmm. His blood gives you that right. Mm -hmm. But it really, I'm just going to put it out there. It bothers me that people sit around and talk during communion. Or that they talk when they're passing out the communion meal. That is to be the time before you partake of when you are examining your heart 
and examining your mind and making sure that your life is in order to partake of that. That should be a very solemn time where we are reflecting and making sure that we're covered and then remembering that, hey, what I'm about to partake of is what Jesus gave for this New Testament, what he gave for me that I can be with him in heaven, that I can be reconciled with God and have this relationship with him. It's a very solemn thing that we should observe solemnly. That we don't enter into it um, uh, frivolously. That it is, um, that it weighs upon us when we are about to partake of it. There's also another covenant meal. Yet to come. What is that meal? Anybody? The marriage supper. Exactly. What about the marriage supper of the Lamb? That we, as Christ followers, as believers that have been accepted back to God because we have confessed Christ as our Savior, if we live for Him, if we keep everything covered under the blood, one day we'll participate in that marriage supper of the Lamb up in heaven. Now you know what's interesting? How long does that last? Come on. How long does this last? No. <laughs> Come on, Charlie. You just said it. No, ma'am. Nope. Seven. Seven years. The Church of God believes that we, the followers of Christ, will be raptured before the tribulation. We believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. At the time that we're in heaven experiencing the marriage supper of the Lamb for seven years, the tribulation period is going on on earth for seven years. So that we will participate in for seven years. There is a thousand year period where there is a millennial reign. That's coming as well. But isn't it interesting that there's seven years here that's completeness and there's seven days here that completes them. Look at the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 25. <coughs> Isaiah 25 and verses 6 through 8. Twenty-five, yeah, twenty-five, six through eight. We're going to look at. And it says, <coughs> "Got it, Shirley?" Yeah. Okay. It says, "And in this mountain shall the Lord of hosts make unto all people a feast of fat things." A feast of wines on the leaves, 
of fat things full of marrow, of wines on the lees well refined. And he will destroy in this mountain the face of the covering cast over all people Mm -hmm. and the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death in victory Mm -hmm. and the Lord God will wipe away tears from off all faces and the rebuke of his people shall he take away from off all the earth for the Lord hath spoken it. A promise of God there will be a feast. And the feast, it says, of fat things or good things. Yeah, rich foods. Yes, abundance. The best foods. The best wines. Everything. And it says that he will destroy any covering that has been cast over the people. Yeah. And swallow up death and victory. <sighs> Wipe away all tears. We've heard that before, haven't we? Mm. The Lord hath spoken. <laughs> So, I want you to remember that these gentlemen are experiencing a fellowship or covenant meal because there's peace. There's peace between them and God about what their journey is about to take. In the New Testament, Jesus outlined the Last Supper with his disciples and established communion ongoing for his people that we do in remembrance of him. But then there's also that coming time when we will get to participate as long as we're, uh, we stay true to God that we'll get to participate in that marriage supper of the Lamb. And I think that that's what that's talking about. The best of the best. Yes. The fat things. The best wine. No tears. No sorrow. Uh, the rebuke will be cast away. It will all be peace, joy. I mean, we can't even imagine. I don't think there's words in the English language to even put to what heaven is going to be like. So this completes the dedication of the tabernacle and the priest. What a process. What a process. But as this happened in one day, when we're washed in the blood, we're clothed in righteousness, we are anointed and set apart, God fills our hands, All of this happens to us in a moment when we go before the cross and say, God, forgive me. I believe that Jesus is your son. I believe he died for my sins. I can snap. My fingers don't do that anymore. But instantaneously, everything is washed away and everything becomes new. So we will go further and find out what happens on the 8th. Yes. 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 On the 8th day. So thank you all for being here today. Thank you. Thank you for all the uh, wonderful birthday things. Let's have a uh, word of prayer before we go upstairs. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word, Lord. Thank you that you give us a glimpse into your relationship with your people, God. How you've always had a plan. You've always had a way, Lord to be reconciled back to you. Lord, thank you for giving your son in place of all of these steps that had to be done, Lord, where we can just come before you and say, I need you, I believe, and we're cleansed and made whole, God. Thank you for that protection that you put around us, Lord. And thank you for the hope that we have of eternity with you, Lord, as long as we stay true. 
Lord, I pray that you'll show up in our service this morning, Lord. We invite you into our congregation, Lord. I just pray that you'll have your way in every heart and every life and that you'll meet every need. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.